Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so, no one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerd at Recaps. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita, and joining us as always is Peter Sagel. Yeah, hi. I'm gonna, like, <laughs> not have any jingles today, okay? That's great. Thank you. <laughs> today we are recapping Office Space as our final movie from 1999. It's from Mike Judge. It stars Jennifer Aniston for some reason, and also Ron Livingston, and Gary Cole, and Jay Naidu, and... David Herman. Uh, so, Peter, last week you mentioned you have seen it before. I had, yes. I, I saw it, I'm going to guess, sometime in the mid-2000s, because if you did any research into this movie, you found out that it was a flop on release. Yeah. Nobody went and see yeah. it. And then it became this weird cult hit mm-hmm. on video, which weirdly was the same thing that happened to Mike Judge's other big feature, uh, Idiocracy. Idiocracy mm-hmm. wasn't even released they they wouldn't release it and then they put it out on video and it became this enormous cultural icon and big hit same thing with this movie so i saw it after it had become a big hit and apparently it aired on comedy central a lot and people were discovering it accidentally on comedy central for years and that kind of helped its virality virality i like it (laughs) uh trisha you had never seen it before right I had never seen it before, but of course I have absorbed, you know, most of it through memes right, in the yeah. last decade and a half. Isn't, isn't that weird? Because I, yeah. I mean, I remember many, many years ago, I saw the gangster movie Little Caesar, uh, which was an Edward G. Robinson movie from like the 30s. And in it, as like every mobster cliche, mm-hmm. the pinstripe mm-hmm. suit, the hat. The, the and it's like oh my god this is where it all came from the it's source like, it's material like, it is it's like <laughs> it's like opening up the ark of the covenant and all these memes come out and you're like oh <laughs> that is kind of cool uh let's we pulled a bunch of clips because i mean there's just a bunch of ridiculous stuff that happens in this movie let's start with uh what you were re- referencing peter with your yeah uh hello peter what's happening uh, we have sort of a problem here. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS reports. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I, I forgot. Mm, yeah. You see, we're putting the cover sheets on all TPS reports now before they go out. Did you see the memo about this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have the memo right here. I just, uh, forgot. But, uh, it's not shipping out till tomorrow, so there's no problem. Yeah. If you could just go ahead and make sure you do that from now on, that would be great. And uh, I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. Okay? Yeah, no, I, I, I have the memo. I've got it. It's right. Hello, Phil. What's happening? Oh, the, the, the emotional content in that. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Is amazing. <laughs> I'm curious. I mean, I feel like so much about this movie is comes down to this dude who just hates working and i'm especially curious to hear what you think of that trisha as a person who is like very motivated by work and like having a good mission says who 
<laughs> Says me right now. <laughs> you know what I mean. Oh, sorry. I just have a case of the Mondays. Um, <laughs> Should we listen to that clip first and then you can answer? <laughs> no one in this country can ever pronounce my name right. It's, it's not that hard. Yeah, well, at least your name isn't Michael Bolton. You know, there's nothing wrong with that name. There was nothing wrong with it until I was about 12 years old and that no talent ass clown became famous and started winning Grammys. Why don't you just uh, go by Mike instead of Michael? No way. Why should I change? He's the one who sucks. Hey, guys. What's <laughs> up, G? Want to go to Chachki's? Get some coffee? Oh, it's a little early. I, mean. I got to get out of here. I think I'm going to lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> also, I mean, there's so much happening there. I do love that the restaurant is called Tchotchkes because it's so, so perfect. Yes. It's yes. perfect. This movie was also the first time I had ever heard of Michael Bolton. <laughs> really? Yeah, totally. Wait, so Greta, when did you see it? Uh, I, I don't remember exactly when I saw it, but it was definitely, I mean, it was probably shortly after it came out on VHS, I would guess. I like early high school. I definitely hadn't seen it since like being a person who got a biweekly paycheck. <laughs> this is the, but this is perhaps the most amazing thing in that clip. And again, I didn't know this till I did my usual post viewing research. What you just heard, ladies and gentlemen, was the coining, the origin, mm-hmm. the invention of the phrase "ass clown." Yep, it was improvised. Uh, the Oxford English Dictionary tr- uh, credits that movie, that scene, for inventing the phrase "ass clown," which was improvised on the set by the actor playing Michael Bolton. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's so good. Is it? Yeah, it is. It's amazing, Greta. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Be appropriately respectful of these moments. Everybody quiet, because Peter Sagal's got another goddamn opinion. Of the term ass clown? You haven't coined any phrases, have you? Neither have I. He did. <laughs> Show some respect. That's what I'm saying. It's really hard to do anything original with the written language, and yet... There they did. They did. They came up with Ass Clown. There's also another thing. I, I, I love. Apparently, this movie has had so much culture, like real world meaning. Um, everybody's heard about the red stapler that Swingline mm-hmm. didn't make mm-hmm. a red stapler, but then they started making one because everybody wanted one after the movie. Here's another thing. Apparently, the Chachki's restaurant is based on uh, TJ Fridays. Mm-hmm. And if you had ever had the misfortune to go to TJ Fridays around this time, you all the the servers were covered yep. with flair. Flair. And apparently they got so much mockery after this movie came out, you know, people yeah. walking going, oh, nice flair on you, that they stopped <laughs> it. They completely gave That's that amazing. up. Yeah, Mike Judge has been like, this has been my gift to the world. It's like, God, I made it so that these poor waitstaff don't have to wear a million buttons anymore. <laughs> Speaking of Mike Judge, the director and writer of the movie, he plays the manager of Tchotchkes, the one who's constantly giving Jennifer Aniston oh, a hard funny. time about, about uh, her flair <laughs> under a pseudonym. Yeah, the two things I remember distinctly from the movie, not having seen it pretty much since high school, were flair, which yeah. I oddly think about a lot, <laughs> and uh, the the traffic scene at the very beginning, yeah. yeah, like really imprinted on me, especially as a person who at that point like barely could drive, and when I was driving, it was in Fairbanks, Alaska, where traffic was not a thing. So like to this day, if I'm in weird traffic in Chicago and I think about changing lanes, I think about this scene from Office Space, mm-hmm. like for sure. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing. One of the one of the and that actually brings up one of the great things about this movie, which is that its observations about office life and commuting life and apartment life are really banal 
I mean, like everybody knows if yeah. you're sitting in traffic and if the leather lane's moving, you get in that lane, it'll stop and you're, the one you were in will go. Everybody <laughs> knows about thin walls and apartment complexes. Everybody knows about copiers that don't work. But Or the lady next to you who's like corporate accounts. But <laughs> Yes, exactly. But all of that said, it nonetheless is so delightful and funny. And instead of going, yeah, that, I knew about that, you're like, oh, yeah, that, that's hilarious. Thank you for noticing that. And I'm, I'm not quite sure if I can explain why that is. Well, it's especially interesting given how well it's held up over 20 years, at least in that instance. I think there are a lot of things about this movie that do not hold up very well, including the bizarre use of soundtrack in this film. But just the mundane nature of like capitalist life, I think, is is captured really excellently and is still super resonant. Yeah. And, and, and also, maybe you guys will agree with me that we've been doing movies from the 90s and we've been doing movies now specifically from 1999. This is the first movie that really shows what life was like in 1999. Yeah. This yeah. could actually mm-hmm. serve as a kind of as a kind of time capsule for younger people. People are going to their hip new offices. People are going, <laughs> you know, to their open office space with the cafes where people can gather and they got the foosball. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is what office space actually used to look like. We all had badges like that and we all sat in <laughs> cubicles. Yeah, it was it was a hard time. <laughs> I do think it's fun to think about this sort of in the long line of workplace comedies that come after it, both some of them by Mike Judge, who created HBO Silicon Valley, which is like, you know, basically the same um, comic and creative mind making something that just is set in the present again in terms of Silicon Valley. Um, And I love that show. I adore that show. Um, But yeah, it does. It does just make you realize that like how how lucky you are if you are somebody who gets to go to a job that doesn't feel like this, because I think this is basically what a lot of office work feels like to a lot of people who hate basically every minute of their day until they go home. And they're like, well, the paycheck means I get to do one thing I like on the weekend. So I'll keep going to work tomorrow. Unless I have to work on the weekend too. Let's listen to another clip. This, cause I think it speaks to exactly what you're talking about, Trisha. This is when he is he goes to the therapist. <laughs> I was just about to I was just about to cite this speech. It's a great speech. <laughs> it's so good. So I was sitting in my cubicle today and I realized ever since I started working, um, every single day of my life has been worse than the day before it. So that means that every single day that you see me, that's on the worst day of my life. What about today? Is today the worst day of your life? Yeah. Wow, that's messed up. (laughs) I'm sorry. Go on. I mean, let's be clear. He's also a real whiny baby because there's actually nothing hard about his life and he should shut up. For sure. Well, that's partly why I was wondering how much it actually bugged you, Trisha. Oh, I mean... (laughs) Uh, I, I can appreciate it as a setting for, for comedy, but yeah, like it, there's not a lot of um, empathy for what he's going through and his approach to going through it because it's not how I would handle a situation. And everybody I know in my family has always worked multiple jobs and really hard or really hard jobs for very little pay. So a board mm-hmm. software engineer is not super um, high on my list of people I feel sorry for. Right. But right. it's a funny movie. It is a funny movie. It, and it's weird because, you know, you could you could describe it as a movie about depending on your point of view, either like good problems to have or first world problems or white people problems. 
uh, and you know, there's a certain kind of condescension, maybe even toward manual labor at the mm-hmm. end, where mm-hmm. he ends up working on the job site, you know, cleaning up actually the wreckage of his own office, and he's like, "This is great, working with my hands." Mm-hmm. Yeah, ch- <laughs> check with him in five years when he can't move his hands anymore. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, despite all that, I, it's still such a lovely movie because I think I, I haven't seen a lot of Mike Judge's stuff. Everything I've seen, I've really liked from even Beavis and Butthead to King of the Hill to the episodes of Silicon Valley. He 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 has this kind of affection for everybody in the movie, even mm-hmm. weirdly, especially Milton. And and mm. that and that really kind of saves it from any kind of I guess what you might want to call snobbery or privilege. I mean, they're all fools. They're all silly. He knows it. Their problems are silly, and yet they're very relatable problems for a lot of people, at least. And uh, and it 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 has it has it has a kind of weird lightness to it for, you know, this kind of of satire. Well, and speaking of Milton, right, that was the character and the, the titular character in the work that Mike Judge did that kind of spurred this movie's creation, right? It was a four-part set of short films, maybe, called Milton. Yeah, he did it apparently for Saturday Night Live, yeah. Well, and Milton being the the guy who's asking for a stapler, who like, you know, essentially, it apparently was laid off quite some time ago, but keeps showing up and is finally getting his paychecks rescinded and, and, and played just to say it by the brilliant Stephen oh, Root so good I love him who's one of those actors who you can never quite pin down as to what he does but whatever he does he does it brilliantly if you're yeah. a, if you're a fan of news radio that's how I know of him news radio or if you're a fan of Barry which is my current favorite yeah. TV show please come back for season three Barry he plays a fuke fukes and is brilliant in that mm-hmm. if you're watching that mm-hmm. he's just he was a voice on King of the Hill he's just one of those guys who deserves a lot more credit than he usually gets well, and he's one of those guys, too. I mean, if you look him up on IMDb, he's got like, I don't know, 250 some acting credits on there, which is yeah. just like he's he was in the West Wing. Hard. Yeah, he's in everything pretty much. That was part of what was fun about this movie, too, is is almost everyone who spoke even a single line of dialogue. I recognized as somebody who had had a big role in some comedy in the, the 20 years between when this came out and now. Right. Like, um, you know, uh the, the Bobs, right? One of them is, uh, you know, is famous for being on Scrubs. If you look around the room and almost every single one of the even minor, minor character actors, I recognize from something else that they've done later on. So like this was, mm-hmm. this was fun for that reason too. Right. Speaking of the Bobs, let's listen to that, <laughs> that clip when, uh, when the Bobs being the consultants who are coming in. The to yes. Yeah. Let's listen to that, that meeting. I have eight different bosses right now. A big pardon? Eight bosses. Eight? Eight, Bob. So that means that when I make a mistake, I have eight different people coming by to tell me about it. That's my only real motivation is not to be hassled. That and the fear of losing my job. But you know, Bob, that'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Would you bear with me for just a second, please? Okay. What if, and believe me, this is so <laughs> hypothetical. But what if you were offered some kind of a stock option equity sharing program? Would that do anything for you? I don't know, I guess. Listen, I'm going to go. Uh, it's been really nice talking to both of you guys. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yeah, the pleasure's you. all on this side yes. of the table, trust me. Good luck with your layoffs, all right? I hope your firings go really well. Okay. Excellent. Great. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that the inciting 
the inciting uh, incident of the movie, the thing that gets the plot going, and it's eventually kind of forgotten. It kind of wears off. Yeah, they just ignore it at some yeah. point. Is this hypnosis that basically allows him to do to say and do whatever he's thinking, mm-hmm. which is kind of great. Well, to stop caring. To stop yeah. caring. He becomes completely apathetic, and that's what sets the plot. And all of a sudden, he's happy. It's like... I'm not quite sure what it means, but it's sort of a delightful thing. The thing that the thing that changes his life is he no longer cares anymore. But he didn't really care before. Well, he didn't care, but it stressed him out. You know, yeah, it's sort of yeah. it's like he he didn't like it. He wasn't motivated, but it was still like a source of angst for him, right? But then once he's hypnotized, he's like, "Oh, I don't give a fuck." I kind of was <laughs> waiting the whole movie for somebody to snap their fingers and for it all to that fall apart because that, that was the premise, right? Is that until the therapist snapped his fingers? Yes. And it, he, they just never got around to that. Yeah, they just never bothered snapping their fingers. Well, and there is, I think, especially with those meeting scenes, too, and the fact that everybody, it, like, finds this, like, slacker white guy who doesn't give a fuck to be so appealing and, like, obviously as management material is, you know, very, like, mm-hmm. great. Like, let's just fail up. Like, that's a that's a great fantasy to help keep moving, you know? I mean, as somebody who's had uh, more than one boss, more than two bosses, mm-hmm. dare I say more than three bosses at a time. Oh, yeah. For sure. That line did make me laugh pretty hard. Yeah. I have eight bosses. <laughs> the, the, the one thing, and, and maybe especially you, Trisha, because you're a big fan of Silicon Valley, can tell me the one thing that's different about this movie from other Mike Judge things is that there's this typical hero, mm-hmm. uh, the actor Ron Livingston, right? Mm-hmm. And he's handsome. He's good looking. He looks like a movie star. His girlfriend, Jennifer Aniston, was legitimately a big star at the time. Apparently, it was her involvement that got the movie financed because she was a big star from Friends. I was wondering about that because Friends was yeah. five years in at that point. Mm-hmm. So, like, she had to have... Yeah, she was the biggest thing on TV. She was an enormous thing. I think at that time, she was still married to Brad Pitt, so she was part of the whole big couple thing. It's so surprising that she is yeah. in this movie. And and so it's weird because most of his heroes are not stars, right? They're, they're Hank Hill or they're that... The pathetic character on, uh, I forget the actor who plays in the comedian, on Silicon Valley or even Beavis and Butthead. It seems as like... Middleditch. Middleditch, Thomas Middleditch. That that this is like a weird thing he had to do to get the movie made, which is to give it a a, a good-looking star actor in the lead who's not nearly as like troubled or weird or messed up as his protagonists usually are. Because remember, the, the shorts that inspired this are about Milton. Right. Mm, That's yeah. the guy that Mike Judge is usually interested in. The loser, the fool, the slacker. He still loves those guys, but that's the guys that makes him laugh. And and so in a weird way, Ron Livingston's character almost doesn't fit in the movie. You have a sense that if he if Mike Judge had been able to make it all he wanted, there would be no Mike there would be no that character, no Peter. There'd just be you guys thrilled to that thought. But there'd be no there it would just be the engineers and the losers and the fools and the frustrated guys who don't have a way out like he ends mm-hmm. up having. Let's listen to a voicemail. Here's Jonah. Hey Nerdette, it's Jonah from Chicago. The first time I saw this movie, I felt like I had to show it to my dad. For much of his career, he was a software developer. I was just finishing college and was soon going to enter the working world as a computer programmer myself. About 10 minutes into the movie, he stood up and said, I'm sorry, uh, I can't watch anymore. This is just too painful. (laughs) I just kind of stared at him for a moment and said, seriously? And he said, you take someone who's bright and capable, you give them too many managers 
who have nothing to do but bother him about things that are completely inconsequential to his ability to get his job done. It was at that moment I was terrified that I was about to make a terrible career choice. Thankfully, I haven't had too many TPS cover sheets over the years. I have worked with a number of Miltons, though. Thankfully, none of them have turned out to be arsonists. That, that may have been our first pre-composed voicemail. I felt like that guy worked on it for a bit. Not that it wasn't <laughs> great. That was a really wonderful invocation of your father at that yeah. moment. Yeah, there was a lot of emotion there. <laughs> Did you guys come across this that uh, according to at least one, there, I found a 20th anniversary. It's funny. One of the nice things about doing 20-year-old movies is you find 20th anniversary celebration <laughs> reunion articles. Mm-hmm. And the one I found, uh, I think it was Mike Judge, maybe Ron Livingston, who said, What's amazing is all the people who came up to them since the movie came out and said, thank you, because Office Space was the movie that taught me that I needed to give up my dumb job and go pursue what I really mm. wanted to do. And apparently this movie has like helped people move on with their lives and taught them about following their own bliss, which is not something you'd expect watching it the first time. I don't know, though. I That actually doesn't surprise me at all, because it makes me think of like one of the big questions that's at the crux of the movie, which we actually have tape of. We'll listen to it and then we can reflect our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars didn't have to work and then invariably whatever you'd say that was supposed to be your career so if you wanted to fix old cars then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic so what did you say i never had an answer i guess that's why i'm working at Inatech. no you're working at Inatech because that question is bullshit to begin with if everyone listened to her there'd be no janitors because no one would clean shit up they had a million dollars you know what i would do if i had million dollars i would invest half of it in loris mutual funds and then take the other half over to my friend asadullah who works in uh, securities samir samir you're missing the point point of the exercise is that you're supposed to figure out what you would want to do pc load letter the fuck does that mean I love that the whole conversation is um, is is hijacked by the by the malfunctioning printer. <laughs> Who's the real villain of this movie? <laughs> oh my god! Absolutely. Exactly. And apparently, that actor who's playing Michael Bolton was supposed to. Ha- he had more dialogue, but he was about like that point. Like, come on, this is what it's really about. Mm-hmm. But apparently, the thing actually malfunctioned, and it really did say <laughs> PC load. So we just went with it. So we never find out what his ultimate point was. It is. Perfect. But yeah, I could totally see how watching this movie would make you ask yourself that question, you know? Yeah. I I also was delighted to find out that uh, before he became a a very successful maker of cartoons and TV shows and movies, uh, Mike Judge worked as an engineer. So this was like, this was like felt reality uh, in, in his work. Let's listen to another voicemail. This is Jennifer. Hi, Nerdette. This is Jennifer from Chicago calling in about Office Space. Um, the first time I saw Office Space, I was temping at an HMO, an insurance company, and that's gone down in my history as an empire of evil. So I love the movie. The only problem with the movie is that it's not a comedy. It's a documentary. Um, <laughs> all right. Thanks for giving me a chance to share my thoughts. On a personal note, Peter Sagal once complimented my Star Trek costume, and it was the highlight of my C2E2 experience. All right. Have a good one. Bye. <laughs> that was nice of you, Peter, to oh, well, walk around C2E2. Yes. Shouting out good costumes. I, I'm very, I'm, I'm now curious as to what that costume was. And, and... C2E2, I should explain, is Chicago's Comic-Con, yes. by the way. Um, let's listen to one more voicemail. Here is Claudia. 
Hi, Nerdette. This is Claudia calling from the Denver Tech Center, where I work in software engineering, which I have been doing since about the time this movie came out. I think I've seen this movie twice. I remember renting it from Blockbuster back when it first came out on VHS. However, having worked in software development for 20-some years, I have heard the entirety of this movie quoted by colleagues approximately, I'll say, 42,000 times. <laughs> so I feel like I can say definitively that the only person who can make those lines about the stapler funny is Stephen Root, a true national treasure. Thanks, guys. Love the recaps. You know, it's weird because, as I mentioned when we were talking about some other movie, that I'm watching The Office for the first time, which is another workplace mm -hmm. comedy. with a, yeah. and, and And it really does, this makes The Office look like science fiction, right? Because <laughs> this is a show that, I mean, this is a movie, I should say, about the absolute numbing sameness of every day. And one of the weird things about The Office is they almost never actually work. Yeah, no work is done in The Office. No work is done. Every day it's like, oh, you know, Michael's got this crazy idea. He's going to take them to an ice rink. Or Michael's got this mm -hmm. weird thing he's going to do and get everybody into the conference room. Or like, so they never <laughs> do any work. And if you think about it, The Office, would, the office Dunder Mifflin, would be an amazing place to work because every day is filled <laughs> with amazing <laughs> adventures and characters and comic situations that are utterly delightful. And, and in stories you can go home and tell your partner or your friends about. Exactly. I got this boss who just does all these wacky things. Exactly. But, you know, it, maybe that's why this movie is so popular because it's really what it's like. As this person <laughs> said, it's a documentary about the numbing sameness of every moment. Yeah. It makes The Office seem like the workplace comedy version of 24, where it's just like, never a dull moment. Exactly. <laughs> I think that speaks also to what we heard from Lisa, who's from Lake in the Hills in Illinois. Lisa said, I think the reason this movie holds up is that so much of corporate culture hasn't changed. They're still hiring management consultants, and we're still using printers that malfunction, and that printer bashing scene is still cathartic. Let's talk about printers for a minute. Okay. Because I can never get a printer to work. Is it just me? Or has like everything else gone like light years into the future? Like we have these smartphones that can do things that like no computer could do five years ago. And yet printers are still kind of the same and still don't really work. And let's not even talk about the snacks in the break room. I mean, my God, can't, it's been so many years. Can't they get it? It, I did have a, a like an odd moment of nostalgia for just being around humans when they had the first <laughs> shot of walking into the office. Yeah, the, there's the car, there's the traffic, and I was like, oh, I don't really miss traffic. I don't really miss commuting. No, and no, then, but then right. when he walks into the office and there's just like the noise of other people existing, mm, yeah. I was like, oh, remember people and places. Yeah. Remember being it, a person it, it, in a place. The, the current circumstances in which we all live does give. Uh, Peter's dream to just sit home and do nothing yeah. a certain kind of careful what you <laughs> like, wish like for, no man. Peter don't wish for that don't <laughs> wish for that what if you get it <laughs> more on office space right after the break
Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so, no one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown. Let's listen. We've got a couple more clips that are great. One of them is when Jennifer Aniston quits her job at Tchotchkes. Um, I did want to point out that one of the other fast food restaurants that they refer to in this movie is called Flingers. Yes. <laughs> which is also a really amazing fast food restaurant name or fast casual, I guess. Let me ask you a question, Joanna. Mm. What do you think of a person who only does the bare minimum? Huh, what do I think? Um, you know what, Stan? If you want me to wear 37 pieces of flair like your uh, pretty boy over there, Brian, why don't you just make the minimum 37 pieces of flair? Well, I thought I remembered you saying that you wanted to express yourself. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I do. I do want to express myself. Okay? And I don't need 37 pieces of flair to do it. All right? There's my flair. Okay? And this is me Middle finger. expressing Middle finger. myself. Okay? There it is. I hate this job. I hate this goddamn job and I don't need it. One of the great jokes of the movie is that she quits her job in a classic job quitting scene and she ends up working at another fast Flingers. casual restaurant. Yes, in another dumb costume. That's what she gets. Welcome to the world of office space. It is really interesting that like I because I feel like this movie plays out some of those workplace fantasies where you get to tell your boss to like fuck your flair or like, yeah, best of luck with your layoffs. I don't really care. But it doesn't. I mean, nobody really wins at the end of this movie. Right. Well, Milton wins. Milton does. Milton does. Milton. Although I love the fact but he's pretty dissatisfied with what is it? The cocktail he orders that's not the right cocktail? Yeah, he's like, I ordered a margarita and I had no salt and the salt came and it was very large crystals. (laughs) What's funny, though, is even Milton, who gets the money and escapes and probably, by the way, set fire to the building because Mm -hmm. he says he's going to do that early on. Yeah. Even he, he ends up in this beach somewhere and even like the server hates him. Everybody hates Milton, which isn't... Poor Milton. Poor Milton. It's also, by the way, another weird thing about that clip is like we said, the person playing the manager, Jennifer Anderson's manager, is Mike Judge. And Mike Judge <laughs> did all the voices for those early shorts, including he did the voice of Milton and Beavis mm-hmm. and Butthead. And you can almost hear it in his voice. All he needs to do is just get a little more nasal and you get Beavis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think in the long pantheon of uh, workplace comedy stuff, too, it's always funny to me to realize how it really is sort of a small handful of creators who are responsible for almost all of these things in some form and from the last 20 years, because I'm pretty sure Greg Daniels was involved early on with Mike judge mm-hmm. on certain things. Greg Daniels he worked on King of, the Hill. King of the Hill. Yeah. And yeah. so he'll go on to create um, the American version of the office where Michael Schur will work with him, who will create parks and rec, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's just, it's a very small club of the people who are actually writing this TV and particularly this genre of workplace, workplace families and the, you know, the hijinks that ensue. But yeah, I think this movie probably inspired a lot of the things that I honestly like more than I like this because this doesn't have as much heart as I like my workplace comedies to have, like The Office or Parks and Rec, where there's 
just a warmth to the characters, whereas no one in this movie really has much depth. I think Ebert said, like, you know, he's sort of drawn them in in two dimensions, but it's funny to watch or something like that, to paraphrase. Um, and, and of course, that's more what's going to happen in a film than in a long-running series anyway. But Right. Although, I mean, I don't, I see, I think that the characters come across as, as whole characters. They're just not redeemed to make you feel better in the way that, say, The Office does. Because sure. if you compare the British office to the American office, the Ricky Gervais version to the Stephen Carell version of The Boss, the Ricky Gervais version originally is just awful. He's never <laughs> yeah. redeemed. He's just this horrible, irritating monster of ego that's hilarious but cringeworthy. Mm-hmm. And the thing that makes the American office so very, very popular is Stephen Carell's character always ends up being shown to have a good heart who genuinely yeah. likes people as much as he wants to be liked. And so you never end up minding him. Yeah. And Mike Judge is like having none of that. There's no <laughs> redemption for the awful boss. There's no redemption at all. These people are just fools. <laughs> I kind of like it. Though I will say there are a lot of things about Steve Carell's character that do not age well. You know, like he's still a deeply imperfect character. Yes. But nonetheless, he, but like he loves his, like he loves his office mates. Like they're his family, you know, like that's, that's what you Well, except Toby or except, you know, like, 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 I get what you're saying, but I think there are some pretty big exceptions that are worth noting too, I guess. Yeah. Well, we can, we we can do a recap of the office, I guess. (laughs) Um, Another listener we heard from is Maddie in Chicago who said she loved this movie Uh, She told us a pretty great story about how she got mugged outside a train station in Chicago and she chased down the assailants who dropped her purse. And in that purse was her trusty VHS copy of Office Space. Wow. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) First of all, uh, kids, don't chase your muggers. Just let them take your stuff. If you have... If you have ended a mugging and you are standing and your stuff is gone, but you are okay... Go yes. the other direction. You can get more stuff. You can Fair get more point. stuff. Nerdette recaps how to get mugged with Peter Safety Sayle. tip. Important safety tip. <laughs> well, so we've mentioned a couple of other workplace comedies. Have we mentioned like the the big ones? If people are like, I liked this movie, but I could use a little more heart in my workplace comedies. Um, what have we mentioned? We've got Silicon Valley. You got The Office. The Parks Office, and Parks and Rec. West Wing, uh, less a comedy, but still West a workplace. Uh, uh, yeah, I think Veep also would count in that. Mm-hmm. 30 Rock is a workplace comedy. Yeah. See, these mm-hmm. are like most of my favorite TV shows because I really like work. <laughs> well, I, I actually remember this. So on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, we interviewed Tina Fey when, when 30 Rock came out. And I was talking to her. And I said, so 30 Rock is a show about, you know, the creation of a Saturday Night Live. And she said, it's a workplace comedy. It's a workplace Mm -hmm. comedy. She insisted on that. Mm -hmm. And my understanding was because according to the conventional wisdom of Hollywood, certainly at that time, shows about the entertainment industry, i.e. meta shows, fail. Workplace comedies succeed. And if you think Mm -hmm. about it, like almost every sitcom is a workplace comedy. Even if it's a medical setting, uh, the Dick Van Dyke show was a workplace comedy. Mary he Tyler Moore. Exactly. Well, and all the Sorkins. All the Sorkins are workplace comedies, yeah. uh, which is weird because, of course, one of the workplaces that aren't, although I guess 30 Rock proves this rule, one of the workplaces that really isn't like a normal workplace is the entertainment industry. Um, but apparently people love workplace comedies, and I guess having all grown up on them, seeing Office Space, Office Space must have stood out 
certainly on video into the 2000s, because it kind of told the truth about the workplace, maybe in a way that all those other workplace comedies never did. That like the Mary Tyler Moore show is about people who genuinely love each other uh, and like each other and are annoyed together at the annoying guy who they still like. I could be describing Parks and Rec as well, right? Yeah, yeah. But but this movie was like, no, work sucks. People are miserable. (laughs) The best thing to do about a workplace comedy is get out of the workplace, which I guess must be part of its resonance. Well, and I mean, it does... It does uh, strike me as I watch it too that, you know, in the all staff meeting scenes, just how many people there are standing around in this movie. And the idea that, you know, they're going in one by one and talking to these consultants. And then the, I'm forgetting the name of the character now, but the, the one who is one of the ones who gets laid off, who basically is, says he's there because he's a people person while screaming. He's yes. like, I'm here because the engineers <laughs> can't talk to the customers. <laughs> But then it, it's revealed that, like, basically, he literally does nothing. Yes. Like, he has a fax machine and a secretary who are doing all the work, and yet he's got a full-time job and a salary to do to do genuinely nothing. And I think, as somebody who has mostly worked in, in newsrooms and journalism organizations that are, like, scrappily staffed at best, yes. it, just, it does boggle the mind to think that in corporate America, there are people who to themselves feel like they're kind of getting away with just doing nothing, like just punching in and punching out at a desk and, and how weird that would be. Like that would drive me insane. I would find a way to do something else with that time, I think, but I do think it's super weird to think that there are still jobs like that where somebody does really like an hour of data entry, but they get paid for eight hours of work (laughs) and then they just go home and they're like, what do I, what am I doing with my life? I will say um, one thing that also made this movie interesting to watch now is that um, last month for Nerd App Book Club, we did a book called Can't Even, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation. And it's a nonfiction book about, you know, millennials and burnout. I think the conclusion we all came to as we read it and talked about it was that obviously burnout is not just a millennial condition. But I think one one thing that Anne Helen Peterson, the author of that book, talks about is is the kind of myth that like we should all be doing jobs that are like societally meaningful and that in a lot of ways we might be better off if we praised people who like did those jobs where you do just check in and check out and like it's okay if you aren't having like the most meaningful enriching experience ever but you are getting a consistent paycheck and maybe a pension by the time you retire and like that is of value also, you know, like maybe you don't need like a super cache, amazing job. I think there's a, this movie almost says that sort of in the end by saying like, Oh, doing manual labor is rewarding. Cause at least you're doing something. You're outside. You're at, well, but like you're, you're physically doing something. Yes. Whereas his office job, it's not that it's a boring job. It's that it isn't a job. Like it's just that the company is too big and too inefficient to realize that there isn't any work for him to do. So it's one thing to like, because like I come from I come from a, you know a long line of folks who worked hard at boring things yes. to get a paycheck, but they were doing yeah. something like that's the right. weird white collar thing that's happening here, where they're literally he's like no I just come in and then I just stare into space. It's not that I do a thing that's boring; it's that there's actually no work to be done, and yet he's getting a paycheck. And I think those are very different things because you I think you can feel very proud of a job well done no matter how simple the task seems on the surface because you've achieved it, but to have nothing to do, I think would make you go crazy in like a different way. 
I guess I'm not sure that he actually has nothing to do or just that he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. But like, that's something I get. We just don't know, given the information we have from the movie. Well, he, there, he has what uh, he has that one speech. I forget where it is in the movie where he explains what he's supposed to be doing, which is basically fixing the Y2K bug. Yes. yes. Which yeah. is also super 99. Which I appreciated yeah. it because one of the things I I dislike about workplace comedies is as you say trisha people are doing things all day and it's actually kind of interesting well how do you spend your time what is the what is the task that you do and i'm actually always interested in too many workplace comedies never explain what it is they actually do like Mm. i'm like dunder mifflin who are they selling paper to and how do they do it and what are they all doing as they sit there and i appreciated the fact that at one point he says this is what i'm supposed to be doing right So we've got one more voicemail, which I think is a really nice note to end on. So before we get to it, um, are there any other notions from Office Space that y'all want to get to before we listen to Nikki? I don't think so. Let's listen to Nikki. Let's let Nikki close it out. All right. Hi, this is Nikki from Los Angeles, and I'm calling to thank you guys. I'm an English teacher here in LA, and one of the classes I teach is AP Literature and Composition with a bunch of wonderful seniors. And I've listened to you for a long time, and it occurred to me that in this world of distance learning, how we needed to end our semester was by having them create their own podcasts in the style of Nerdat recaps. And so that is what they're doing. In December, they will, in groups, they will be recapping Othello, which we have been reading and watching. And I want to thank you so much as an English teacher, because listening to you, I hope will help them realize that discussing literature and art can be fun and engaging and doesn't have to be hard and esoteric. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> Isn't that wild? That's like us act- that's like Mike Judge getting rid of Flair. Like we accidentally did some good. <laughs> I know. Like who knew? We'd have this I just want to know what does in the style of this show me? Like two nice people and an asshole? What does this mean? <laughs> I'm not identifying who's who, by the way. I know is well it's also like will the children be cursing? <laughs> I have a lot of questions. <laughs> Like, wh- how do you use clips for Othello? Yeah. <laughs> and do you jingle Shakespeare whenever he's being particularly... I sure hope so. I guess we should send Nikki the jingles, huh? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, wait a minute. I don't know if they're applicable if I'm not around, but good luck. <laughs> blah, 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 whatever. Peter, nobody cares. Right. So how do you take that and apply it to a different context is what I'm saying. Well, maybe right? they just sub over Shakespeare instead of Peter, like in a very poorly <laughs> dubbed. You could do that, right? Shakespeare, nobody. Yeah, I could work, I guess. Shakespeare's opinion falls in the forest. Does anybody give a shit? Nobody cares, but it never really stops him. It's Shakespeare still fucking talking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do hope Nikki sends us some audio files so that we can hear them. Yes. Absolutely. Me too. Well, and also, Peter, if you have any Othello opinions, I'm sure she'd love them. You could send them over. Ooh, okay. Then they could jingle <laughs> those. Then it all works. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the final installment of our 99 recaps. Thanks to both of you for doing this. It is always fun to hang with y'all. And I wish you happy holidays and like best of luck as we get through the rest of 2020, huh? <laughs> I know. Maybe someday we'll see each other again. <laughs> Maybe someday we'll see each other again. Who can really say? <laughs> Have we talked about if if and when we're going to do anything next? 
We haven't, no. So I guess we'll just see how the year closes out and kind of go from there. Absolutely. The show is produced by me along with Justin Bull and Isabel Carter. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak, and our theme music is composed, as always, by the amazing Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. Hang in, take care, and yeah, thanks you two. You're the best. Thank you, Greta. You're the best. No, you're the best, Greta. And Stannis is the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Throwback! (laughs) All right, later, y'all. Bye-bye. Bye. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience. I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.